Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Uranio Pais. And today we're talking about levels of awareness. Probably my preferred topic to talk about, as you well know, B. Yes, I know you really um, appreciate this new model that we've been uh, developing and adding to which is really a a map of the vertical dimension of the Enneagram. We all know that the nine types are kind of a horizontal map of nine different types that are all essentially equal in terms of their uh, challenges, the work that needs to be done, uh, strengths and gifts. But then there's this vertical dimension and the Enneagram really can't be fully understood without realizing that the vertical dimension is all about growth within type. Yeah, and this is a fascinating theme, B, and we have a lot to say. And although our intention is to summarize the teaching, you and I know that we are not too good in summaries. We always go deeper and deeper. So this is why we thought of uh, doing this um, podcast on levels actually as two episodes. So on this episode, we are going to talk about the levels in general, meaning for all of us, regardless of type, but still connected to Enneagram theory and things that we talk about, like instincts, the subtypes, passion, fixation, and then the virtues, holy ideas, but not per type. And then the other podcast we'll talk about a little bit what happens with each of the nine types uh, regarding these levels of awareness. This way we'll have two parts for to explain the basics of our CP models of uh, levels of awareness. The Enneagram exists for self-development, to bring us to where we are now, to a better place. So if we don't consider levels of awareness within our type, we are not using the Enneagram for what it has been imagined for. And when you say vertical dimension, it's important to know what that means. It's really going up on different levels of being or different levels of uh, awareness Uh, in ways that we realize who we really are and not who we were when under effect of ego. And sometimes, and we get many questions about this, sometimes we say that personality is the lower self and essence is the higher self, which is um, a, a, a very simple model of two levels. We... If we are vibrating in the personality level, we are in a lower level than when we are vibrating on the level of essence or uh, even in touch with our soul and spirit. So we are heading there. And it's good to know the different phases we go through until we get there. It's quite useful also to know what has been happening to you um, when you, you've been doing uh, inner work. You know, there are some things that happen when we do inner work that people think like they're getting worse, but they're just a result of doing inner work and disidentifying with our personality. Yes, it's a little bit like the Enneagram is a kind of false self, or persona, or mask that we put on to get along in the world. Um, But the Enneagram is all about mapping the journey from knowing more and more about that false self as a way to go beyond it, to discover more of our true self, to manifest more of our higher potential, and to go from a lower level of awareness to a higher level of consciousness And of course, a lot of people, when they learn the Enneagram after they learn their type, and it's so interesting because it so clearly articulates what the habitual patterns are of each type, 
the question that comes next is, how do I work with this? What do I do with this? How do I use this knowledge to move beyond my limited level of awareness to recognize all of who I am? And so this vertical model of levels of awareness is exactly a very detailed map of how to get from this lower state of awareness to a higher state of awareness. And of course, there's the general map that we'll talk about, these different levels, ascending levels, kind of going up uh, around, uh, uh, around a kind of pathway or spiral, spiral up. Um, and then there's the way that each type can do it in their own specific way based on what they need to do to grow. And we'll talk a bit about both the general um, levels for all of us and then a little bit for each type. Now, it's important to say that we can go up on levels or even down on levels, depending on how much awareness we are developing uh, throughout <clears throat> life. And actually, it's almost a law of uh, nature and uh, humanity that we are never really totally stuck. We're either going up or down. And what's really interesting to me about this model of levels of awareness is that it's based on the Enneagram diagram itself. Um, there are other levels of awareness models out there in the world, but I don't know that any of them are based on the Enneagram diagram. And th the beauty of that is that the Enneagram is a symbol of per perpetual motion or a symbol of transformation in and of itself. So here we're not talking about the Enneagram as a framework for these nine distinct archetypes, personality types. We're talking about the Enneagram as a map of process, as a map of how something changes uh, and grows and develops. Yes, and I, I want to say, B, that uh, although this model that you and I created is highly based on our own experience with thousands of students, um, both of us, uh, it's also based in some very good sources. So a main one is Gurdjieff himself, and we have mentioned Gurdjieff uh, many times in past uh, po podcast episodes, uh, when he talks about centers of intelligence. And um, I remember learning in a Gurdjieffian school uh, how to position those centers of intelligence coming from Gurdjieff on the Enneagram symbol itself. Also, it's based in learnings that I had on Sufi teachings that were very important for me uh, from a teacher I had uh, in Brazil. Uh, but there are authors, uh, different authors, even in Sufism, like Ibn Arabi, and others that uh, have helped uh, build the theory and, and the foundation behind what we did. So we're super happy with the result. The students usually get very touched. Uh, it enlightens what is happening with them and also what is going to happen next. And they get really touched when it comes to the higher stations. It's like people usually feel very inspired by those. So there are a few basic ideas that flow from this map of levels of awareness. And again, we uh, base it on the Enneagram. So instead of talking about type one and type two, type three, type four, we'll be referring to those points along the Enneagram diagram as levels of awareness. So point one awareness level, point two awareness level uh, are points one and two on the Enneagram diagram. But in this case, we're not referring to the types. We're referring to levels along this pathway up, uh, ascending levels of awareness. And the interesting thing, the thing I think is most interesting is that there are different states of awareness that are represented by these different levels and 
different things to be done by each person of each type at the different levels to grow. And we also learn that early on in the path of development, there are certain things that you're just we're just not ready for. We need to sort of take first things first. Uh, and also, I want to emphasize what you mentioned a little bit earlier, that this path is not necessarily linear, even though, of course, it sounds linear, like you go from one to two, uh, something happens at point three, and then you go to awareness level at, at point four. And then there's that gap in the Enneagram between four and five, and that is very meaningful. We call that 4.5, and then there's 0.5. And we our, our map goes up to 0.5 awareness level. We don't go beyond that, and we'll explain why a little bit later. But these different points represent different states of awareness, like what a person is like at level one, what a person is like at level two, and what the specific growth tasks are to be done at each level. And one of the things I love about it is it lets it lets us know that when we're first starting in our work or when we fall down to that level because we get uh, more stuck in our habits, there's only certain things that will work at that level. You can't do something more advanced when you're earlier on the path. And it's it's kind of good, too, because I think in the beginning, we talk about how we need to do more gentle, easier work and that the work gets more challenging as we go because we're able to do more challenging work because we have gone to a higher level. Yes, and we say many different things about each level. Of course, here on this podcast, we'll do just a summary of them. But it's important to stress that there are both general things that are valid for all of us, regardless of type, on these more general levels, and things that are specific per type or even per subtype. So we work on all these dimensions and we'll try in our summary here for you today just to say a little bit of all of them. Now, it's also perhaps a good idea to explain that in that nonlinear movement that you explained, B, there are two different things. One is an awareness shift and another one is an awareness expansion. What is the difference? So an awareness shift is when the person has done enough inner work on a certain level and is starting to more permanently vibrate in the level above it and gets transformed into in, in its in their level of being into that experience of the level above. So in other words, the shift happens when we truly start operating mostly from that next level, meaning that we will come back there when we move up or down in circumstances. That will be our new home, our new base. And it's like our new normal, right? But there is also an awareness expansion. And that is, for instance, when you go to a retreat, when you have a, an amazing meditation experience, you go up <clears throat> in the awareness levels and then you go down again and you you bounce all the way back and then you go to, to the middle. But it's a pendulum movement to which we are subject until... Um, a certain part of our journey and that is very typical like two weeks after being in bliss after a retreat people usually experience that um that fall down but that is not as meaningful the expansion that happened before is not as meaningful as an awareness shift that happens happened before as we explained So maybe it would be good to talk about uh, the general state of consciousness at each of these levels. Um, can you maybe start us off by sharing a little bit about what the state of consciousness is like at 
awareness level point one. So if we're uh, coming, if when we ha- and maybe how do we get there? Maybe how how do we come to be in personality? And what's the first awareness level like? Right. So it's really archetypal for us to lose awareness as we are born and then as we grow. Uh, we are coming from essence, but we need to to establish an ego. And when we do, then we're operating in lower levels. Um, humanity as a whole has come to what we describe on level one, which is actually not the worst possible. There would be a level below that, which would be really dark. But those are more specific states for a few people. And it's meaningful for us to start talking about what we call level one or point one level of awareness. And what that basically is, is the level of the, the, the human being asleep, not aware at all, just living life mechanically. So all of us have a good experience of what that is when we are driving somewhere and when we arrive at that place we just think wow how have i arrived here i don't remember having driven here you know it's because we we were not present at all we were totally in our heads or feelings depending on the person but not truly present to what was happening and the same way uh, the person on level one is not capable of observing their own patterns, as in the nine types. Like, I don't really see or own my patterns. I don't have any self-observation skill. And it's even worse, B, the person there thinks that all is fine. Uh, All is as it should be. And the person lives a life defining oneself by love and work, but really not connecting to anything transcendent. Um, Now, at that point, the person doesn't have much will, or if any, to do anything to grow. Sometimes when there is an awareness path, you know, when the person is influenced by someone, they go along with that and slowly they get interested in something like the Enneagram. But most of the times it takes an episode of suffering for the person to leave that comfort zone and uh, uh, just embark in, in a more meaningful quest. Um, and finally, what I want to say about level one is that we operate a lot from our instincts in there. The dominant instinct also with the repressed being totally repressed and therefore the sequence, the instinctual sequence being really marked, like, you know, there are differences that are huge and that doesn't change much uh, as days go by. Uh, So we operate from that more than from the passion of type. And make sure if you don't understand these uh, terms that we're uh, offering now, that you go back to a few other podcasts that we talked about all of them. But B, what would you add to level one? Well, one of the things I think that's really interesting about level one is what we sometimes talk about how is how when we're completely identified with personality, we are in a way at one with our personality. There's no part of us that's kind of recognizing that we're identified with a personality. We are really our personality. We're, I, we're, we're completely focused on the person perspective of our personality it's um it's there's an interesting thing that often people are kind of okay like there's no problems um uh i'm just doing what i do and there's no longing for growth because there's almost a sense of this is all there is so there's like a cluelessness with respect to what's possible uh, with respect to higher levels of awareness, 
um, higher levels of experience. Um, and it's a more kind of on the ground, materialist, earthly, worldly kind of perspective of just getting through life every day. It, and it could be focused on survival, like you said, coming from instinct a lot. Uh, but there is this kind of sense of this is all there is. And I think that's really interesting to see because when we move to level two, and like you said, often what moves a person from level one to level two, if a person ever moves to level two, because I guess it needs to be said that um, some people will spend their whole lives, many people will spend their whole lives at level one, uh, that it, it, there needs to be some impetus, some motivation, something that moves that person forward to level two. And sometimes that's a, it, it needs to be a sense of like something's not right here. And um, I remember one of my favorite movies is about C.S. Lewis, you know, the writer. And he in that movie says, you know, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Uh, and it's a little bit like sometimes what wakes us up out of the fact that we're we don't realize we're asleep, we don't realize we're living a kind of mechanical life. We're really acting like a machine. It's it, we need to be woken up to that some sometimes, and sometimes that is an incidence of suffering or a sense that something's missing, or some sort of awakening to the fact that. Um, wow, is this really all there is? And a sense of dissatisfaction. Um, so that I I kind of like this element of this model because it it's it helps us see the purpose in pain and suffering, the purpose in uh, experiencing in life as a lack of fulfillment, you know. And I think sometimes people stay at level one because they have to focus on survival. Maybe they you know they are in a situation where they kind of need to put all their energy into just living in and finding resources to, to stay alive. But then I think there's other people that stay at level one because it's comfortable. Um, and one of the things that's occurring to me to say is when we teach this model, it's really important for us to recognize not to have value judgments because on one level, yes, the level one is the lowest level and there is a kind of unconsciousness that, that, um, that dis that is characteristic of that level, a kind of complete egocentricity, which of course is not good, but at the same time, it's important not to judge people who are at that level because, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, people's growth is their own business. And it's important that we don't, you know, judge people based on what we think is right and apply those standards uh, to others unfairly. Right. And then if the, the, the basic structure of personality is being shaken enough, then hopefully the person will get elevated to level two. And one of the things that happens in there is that the person is more capable of being in touch with the pain that there is. It's not that there will be new pain happening. It's that people will feel the pain that... Uh, or was already there, hidden somewhere. And also, when we go to level two, we are certain that there is something else apart from that daily life. So we start seeing that we exist, not only for those practical reasons, or only for daily pleasure, or only for certain relationships. We exist to evolve and to experience something different. On level two, the person isn't experiencing that um, uh, too much, but is starting to notice there are a few experiences that happen. And then all the agenda of therapy, psychotherapy, or at least a good coaching, and also some um, new models of relationships, and uh, frustration with old schemes of life and welcoming of new stuff in life, both emotionally and mentally, like new forms of thought, uh, breaking some paradigms, 
or even examining finally the content behind the type's passion. And by the way, the personal level too gets way more interested on, on the Enneagram. It's something that is almost very well designed for people that go to level two. Um, but there is a paradox that while the person is evolving and getting more sophisticated, the person is getting more paradoxical on level two, more feeling split in the inside. And that is good because, as we say, people who are totally certain of themselves are dangerous. And they come from a lower level of awareness. So seeing that you, you are not so obvious, that you actually have these different parts inside you and that you can observe is uh, healthy because you're starting to waken up essence or to reconnect to essence, meaning that you're not anymore only that personality that you used to be. What else would you, in general terms, be um, describe about level two? What would you add? Well, we sometimes say that level two is the is the level of the human. Level one is the level of the animal soul. We're operating more from instinct, so more from the animal in us. And I think this is why, perhaps. It's people at level one that start wars and hurt other people uh, because there isn't this higher consciousness of what they're doing sometimes, uh, what we're doing when we're at that level. So level two is more about coming into a, a much bigger awareness that there's something more, that there's something beyond the personality, that there's uh, potentially, you know, the first sense of what's possible spiritually, uh, what, what happens when there's part of us that, as you've said, longs for something more or longs to self-actualize or realize more potential to be happier, more fulfilled, more satisfied at a deeper or higher level. And the part of us that is kind of stuck in our habits is sort of still being mechanical and doing what we've always done and, and, and hesitant to go beyond the comfortable and the familiar. Um, and I think, like you said, at level two, we, we hopefully become more and more aware of that inner split and we develop the capacity to self-observe, to observe ourselves and develop that inner witness that can start hopefully non-judgmentally observing ourselves, which, and that's a big first part of sort of the what to do when you learn the Enneagram is start observing yourself and develop and strengthen that inner witness, that, that conscious, conscious presence inside you that can simply watch and notice what you're doing and how you get caught up in things and how you're feeling. And, and when you develop that inner witness, it creates the, the space inside yourself between the witness and what is being witnessed. And that's the space that consciousness develops in. And so I think at level two, we become more and more able to observe ourselves with this neutral part of ourselves and to also develop more connection to our emotions, to understand where our pain comes from. Uh, and of course, a lot of uh, psychological work needs to be done at level two if the person is to continue moving forward. And we, we, we sometimes say that the Enneagram is a psycho-spiritual map. And one of the things that uh, this level levels of awareness map tells us is that we need to do psychological work first and then spiritual work. Uh, that there's a way that if you want to go to spiritual experience before you've done all your psychological work, as we've talked about in another podcast, that's a kind of spiritual bypassing of the sort of on the ground human getting in touch with your personality, moving beyond your personality, psychological work that is a lot about understanding why do I do the things I do? Why do I feel the way I do? Uh, what emotions am I in touch with and not in touch with? And what is 
the meaning of those emotions and how can I start to learn about my emotional reactivity and how can I start to notice it, watch it, see how it operates to the point where I can gain more and more ability to manage my reactivity. And a lot of the psychological work to be done at level two is about doing this very human work of understanding our own psychology, understanding, you know, maybe getting in touch with trauma from childhood, uh, getting in touch with why, you know, what what's the imprint on me of my relationship with my father and my mother and my siblings, and how can I learn more about, you know, how I do relationships uh, and how I do my life because of the imprint uh, and the impact of my earlier experience. That's a lot of what psychological work is all about. Yeah, great points that you're raising, B, about this very, very important level two, which we focus so much on our work because many people that come to our courses are experiencing level two already, uh, at least to a degree. And as you said, it's important to know that just a minority of the population is vibrating in that level. So it's already very good to be there. And as the person does the work that needs to be done on that level and starts getting closer to level the next level, which is actually level four and not three, the person feels all that you said and what I said more intensely, feels more of an inner split, for instance, and more paradoxical and feels like a big deconstruction is happening, a disidentification. The person sometimes even makes the mistake of saying, I don't know if I'm that type anymore, which is not the case almost always. It's just that the person is changing for better. Uh, but many times it doesn't feel too good. It's just hard because growing is hard. Now, that is making the person get closer to point three, which is not a level. Um, point three on the process Enneagram is known as a shock point. It's a transitional point where we get an influx of energy Hopefully, if we're going forward, an energy coming from above that will move us to level four. Also, what is happening on point three is that the paradox is too big and we hold uh, the paradox within us. We embrace that paradox, hopefully, just seeing that I have all this part of me that is really attached to personality of the type of mind and this other part of me that is disidentifying from it and that I really wish to grow bigger but I don't know what to do I, I'm just holding the paradox and uh, holding my ground inside the paradox and that's exactly what needs to be done because when that is done and we refrain from doing some bad things that come from personality, we open up the space for a higher force to come down to us and solve the conflict. This is what the Enneagram uh, talks about a little bit on Law of Three that Gurdjieff used to explain. There is thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, meaning that I am personality, uh, here on one hand, but I am the opposite of it, essence. And how do I solve this conflict? And actually, the person on point three is getting more humble and knowing that this is not solvable by me only. I can't solve that. I don't know what to do. And the person at that point is feeling weaker in a good sense, weaker in terms of um, learning that I don't control everything, right? And then a force comes down to me saying, you can go on and experience a little bit of this transcendent you that you're going to, to be on level four. So I think what you're saying is 
you know, exactly what I understand uh, about level three or point three rather, but I, I wonder if it would be also helpful to offer some examples because I think it can also be a little bit abstract for people in terms of what it might mean for them on their particular growth paths. I think Good some, idea. I think sometimes uh, at point three, uh, when we are really maybe in some way suffering from this paradox or feeling, um, and it could take and it could take shape around different different aspects of our lives, maybe. Uh, certain relationships where uh, we've known someone for a long time, but it's not really working and they don't really understand who we really are. And so that's causing stress. It could be between maybe a, an old career and something new. Um, it can take different shapes, I think, depending on what's going on in our lives. But I think what the point three shock point really conveys is an idea that it's often it, it's often something that comes in from the outside. Now we can see that as a, sort of a spiritual blessing, but we can also see that as uh, something more worldly. Like you, you meet a teacher, or you you find a really good therapist or coach, or you maybe find a book or a, a, a teaching that really affects you at a deep level. That's really that one thing that you needed to understand to help make sense of something. Uh, or you made a new friend that, that has a big impact on your life. I think it can be different kinds of things that are the, a shock point. Yeah. Or it could be COVID be COVID was a shock point for all of us in society and it shook our structures. And, uh, for some, it, you know, it, this was very hard for others. It was not that, that hard or even the opposite, but for sure, nobody stayed the same. And that is the concept of shock point. Right. And I think that the, the pandemic as a shock point is also a good illustration of this because our world has been so divided. Uh, in so many cultures, certainly in uh, here in my culture and U.S. culture, there are such uh, extreme political divisions. You know, we really see this, what we've been talking about as a split uh, in very vivid terms. And it's been hard to know sometimes what, what can heal this split, what can bring us together when we don't understand each other, when we seem so different and we uh, are really apart. And I think the pandemic, it's almost like it's this global phenomenon that really caused us all to kind of stop in our tracks uh, that sort of really has disrupted our way of living. And so we have to look at all kinds of things in, in new ways. Hi, if you're enjoying the depth of knowledge offered in this podcast, you might want to stay in touch with us. B and Wadanyu offer professional Enneagram training, personal development courses, self-guided online courses, and they even have a membership platform with over 100 hours of content. Head to cpenneagram.com podcast to learn more. So on level four, we go transpersonal. We have a transcendent experience and we don't sense only our bodies. Actually, towards the end of level two and on level 1.3, uh, the person is opening all three centers of intelligence, the head, the heart, and the gut, uh, regardless of type, and aligning them in an experience of presence in the body. It feels like I am my body. I don't have a body. And that is very good. But going to level four, we cease to be a body only and we feel like like um, mixing up with the environment a little bit we are not just one individual organism we are part of a collective and that is an experience of level four there is actually an opening of what we call the spiritual heart from which we can manifest the virtues of the Enneagram, the nine virtues. Uh, and these are brilliant states of awareness. And the virtues are actually the very opposite of the nine passions. And collective awareness comes with an experience of collective pain, collective shadows, and more. 
But with the opening of the spiritual heart, the person experiences not only the very beautiful virtues that are explained on Enneagram theory, but also higher level emotions like goodness itself, uh, a lot of calmness, peace, um, and also gratitude, true gratitude, forgiveness, and other beautiful emotions that are so much needed in the planet. What would you add about level 4B? So I think at level four, um, one of the really important things to understand is that this is a place where humility really comes in in a big way and is really necessary. Uh, it's the humility of realizing that, wow, when I was an ego, I a little bit thought of myself more as the center of the universe. Uh, whereas really what's true is I'm not uh, the center of everything. And there, there's much more of a humility and letting go of some of our egocentric points of view. Um, there's a sense of um, knowing more who we are in a realistic way and not needing to be more or less uh, than who we really are. And I'm always reminded of the way that this map actually uh, corresponds really nicely with Dante's Divine Comedy. And we've I've mentioned before how I do a workshop on the Enneagram and the, and the comedy and how they describe parallel paths of uh, transformation. And it's interesting that purgatory is really the place of purgation, of kind of getting rid of all that that's not us or that has kept us at a low level of awareness the passion is purged, uh, for instance, in purgatory, and we move toward the higher virtue. And I think, I think point the point four level of awareness is this place of coming into humility. Humility, the terrace of humility, is the first terrace in purgatory, and it it represents, it symbolizes this need to be more humble if we are to really let go of the false self and get more in touch with the true self. The true self doesn't need to be the center of the universe. The, the true self recognizes our proper proportion in, in the universe and in our world. Uh, and I think here uh, we often talk about how a spiritual group of some kind or uh, uh, some sort of support group can be really important because we really need to be around people who are also doing inner work in a serious way. And part of this is is knowing knowing who we are, but not in a grandiose way. Yeah, very good. So what happens after that is that we go to an even higher level of deconstruction and disidentification. And that happens in that void between four and five that you mentioned earlier on. That is a very sacred space, although also scary for most. It's the underworld. And that is where we get even harder kind of purging. And we get rid of shadows that we didn't know exist or we didn't have our own strength to deal with them. And we get even further disidentified from any concept of self, any identities we use to have for ourselves, because the true path of growth is the path of breaking away from old identities. And the nine types are nine things that we are identified with. They are not us. I mean, the nine personalities, right? And we need to first get rid of those constructs, those uh, pa feeling patterns and sensation patterns that we used to define ourselves with. So that all happens in that void between four and five. Some people say it's a dark ocean where we, we go through that purification. Uh, there are certainly some aspects of it that we sense as being a, a little bit like nothingness. And um, it's, it's like what 
in some spiritual traditions is called um, the spiritual death, which is not biological death. It's more the death of ego. And when we go there, we are having an experience that uh, mystical Christianity defined as dark night of the soul, especially the works of uh, St. John of the Cross. And that is extremely sacred, but very hard. And there are techniques that we teach sometimes at retreats, more advanced retreats on how to go through that and how to work through that. But basically that happens only for a few people in a more permanent way. Most people have incursions into that territory, but bounce back down. So they have awareness expansions to that, but fall back down to lower levels because that is a very advanced level. What else would you say about that uh, 4.5 space? We call it space and not a level, actually. Yeah, so this opening between points four and five is so significant. It's so important, which is why we often say that that the Enneagram diagram is the Enneagram diagram. It's 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 not uh, something that can be closed up. Uh, that 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 space is important. I think it's conveyed by the idea of the archetypal trip to the underworld and myths and great works of literature. Um, as you said, it connotes the dark night of the soul, a kind of need to surrender uh, the last vestiges of ego, uh, a really giving up of defenses, a leaping into the abyss. Uh, and I think all of these things are so important when it comes to really realizing that we really do have to let go of the ego. And that can be very terrifying because it's what we've relied on to keep us safe in, in navigating through the world for our whole lives. And it's very hard to let go of all that. And so I think this uh, symbolic representation of having all these defenses and old patterns and even shadows ripped away uh, is, is both really instructive of, of how we need to really think about the death of the ego so that we can have a kind of rebirth into our who we really are so that the true self can fully come online um and i and i love that this uh this space in the enneagram and it's itself connotes this very important process and i think it, it also reminds me of the phrase it's always darkest before the dawn now of course this darkness at this void isn't necessarily as we've said despairing or or painful in the way that we might think it's more of this like radical needing to let go and surrender and the sense of it's always darkest before the dawn and then of course at point five if we're able to navigate through uh the abyss uh the void uh it's uh it's very 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 light when we get to point five so can you say a little bit about uh, the point five awareness level and what that's all about. Sure. So it's already on the left hand side of the Enneagram's diagram, right? We've just uh, gone past the inflection point of 4.5 and uh, going up now, uh, five, six, seven, eight. So that means something. It means that we have crossed a very important uh, river. Uh, where on the other side, we get to experience a whole lot of light. So uh, up to 4.5, we have been basically purging. But after that, we are more directly in touch with the reality of who we are. Although 0.4 and 4.5 already bring us brilliant experiences. But it's, you know, it's difficult to compare to what happens to people on level five, because then we are in touch with uh, the holy ideas, as we call them, which are very enlightened ideas of us, people and the universe, everything. 
Uh, it's seeing greater reality and not this lower reality that we are living in our everyday lives. Uh, this is when we understand the subtle by witnessing it and describing it. And the holy ideas are um, viewpoints of that, uh, different viewpoints of the same objective reality. Now, also on point five level of awareness, we get in touch with symbols, with a lot of archetypes, and with a different kind of spiritual experience that we sometimes call the mystical union, uh, the merger with uh, different objects or um, people or even with all there is. Uh, so it's not only a, a, an energy expansion and a transcendence, it's also a merging in what is sometimes called a non-dual state. Uh, and on uh, level five, uh, it's also really remarkable the kind of uh, understanding that we develop about everything. It's like, we cease to use the normal uh, thought forms uh, like deduction, induction, and we start to just see things for what they are in a very transparent way. We just uh, see what we had never been able to see before. And also at that level, we get um, introduced to our mission and I mean our truer mission, our destiny, and a few things that are very big. Uh, now, that B is the point when the instincts, um, as in self-preservation, social, and sexual, uh, become totally balanced. Um, the person that reaches that point as an awareness shift, meaning the person will be anchored in their, in a, in their uh, psycho-spiritual uh, center of gravity, the person will experience a free flow of the three instincts. And there is a much bigger um, capacity to master uh, one's own reactivity and the passion of type and fixation. So it's a very, very high level of awareness that really not many people get to experience in life and not even for a few moments. So I think you've given us a really clear sense to the extent that that's possible of the 0.5 level of awareness, uh, because it is a very high level and, and uh, something that some of us may not taste or may taste and have a, uh, a deeper experience of if we're uh, lucky and really doing the work. Um, now, our model stops at at the point five, but maybe you could say a little bit about why. Why do we only go up to five? A little bit about what, maybe not what the other levels are, but why we don't go past mm -hmm. here. Yeah, we. it's not that the model stops there. It's that uh, um, talking about point five as the last one is what is meaningful for all of us here everybody listening, because the levels beyond that are even more sophisticated, harder to understand, and also very few people touch base with them. Um, they exist, they are described in some models, uh, but um, it's something that we don't think we should be uh, distracting ourselves with right now because we have enough work to do be with all this first levels, I guess. So next time, um, I hope you'll tune in because we'll talk about the specific paths, the specific work to be done for each of the nine types at these different levels in order to move forward on the path of development uh, in order to take your own personal growth journey uh, by understanding more clearly 
uh, what's the work to be done um, at these different levels in order to move from this lower level of consciousness that we find ourselves in personality to the higher levels of awareness that we are capable of when we do deep inner work? It's time for our top five. What is our top five today, B? Our top five today is the top five bossiest Enneagram types. Wow, quite interested in this. Especially <laughs> to see if twos will come before or after fives. <laughs> to see who's bossier. Well, I, yes. think, I think we have, both have some ideas about that. Yes. Uh, so what's your number five most bossy type? You know, I must say that it wasn't that easy for me to do this one as easy as it was other times because I could remember many cases of people of each type who were bossy and people who weren't. So I think it's very much subtype related, but I decided to talk only about type here. So my number five is type three, and that's because... I think that while threes can definitely very commonly be in charge, uh, they don't want to be seen as people who don't listen to others or who are just um, being bossy, uh, bossing around. Uh, I think that especially nowadays when a more participatory style of leadership is more valued, um, threes don't tend to be as bossy as before, although they can hide ways that they are bossy, you know, but it's three. What about you? What's your number five? I actually had three at number five also. Oh, okay. And I don't necessarily think of threes as bossy, but I do think they can be controlling. So I think sometimes controlling maybe what what might be referred to when we're talking about bossy i think bossy has a slightly different element uh to just controlling but i think threes can at times be controlling and so i put three at number five so what's your number four yeah just a comment uh, about threes another one is that i think threes have a very hard time delegating but they are not necessarily bossy now, my, my number four is type five. And you may think this is unfair. But uh, anyway, it's type five because I think fives can be very bossy, but especially in a few relationships with closer people and at home. Uh, it's not that they are bossy in all uh, contexts. And sometimes, you know, just being in charge of, things, especially if they are small details, is not um, something that pleases fives. You know, it comes with a lot of boring things to do that you don't learn much. Um, and fives sometimes don't have the patience or energy to, to be the bosses uh, in a few situations. But they are more bossy than other types. Well, I actually thought the exact same thing. I have type five at position four as well oh. uh, for much the same reasons. And I was even thinking the same thing. Like I, I can't picture fives, for instance, being bossy at work, uh, but I do experience fives as potentially being bossy in more personal relationships, oh, uh, wanting really? to have their way or seeing it certain ways and not being very flexible or wanting to control what's happening. Are you saying I'm I'm not bossy as a business partner, but I'm bossy as a friend? Well, you might be an exception. I think you might be bossy in, <laughs> in both respects, but you're Thank a friend you. that is a business partner. So that may be the reason why that you feel like you can yeah. take more liberties in being bossy with me in particular. Oh, I see. But now I regret having asked. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> what is your number three? My number three is one, because I think ones, uh, when they have a sense of what the right way is and they want to do it their way, uh, they can be bossy. Oh. What about you? 
So I had number one as my third, but then I changed my, I, you know, I have what was my second now as number three because I wanted to be nicer with you. So I have, <laughs> <laughs> I have type two as my third. And wow. yeah, and I, I, you know, in practice, remembering multiple people I know of each of these types, I think that statistically, I know more ones who are bossy than twos who are bossy. I think that uh, twos are controlling, but also ones are controlling also in different ways, but they are. I also think that, um, that uh, twos sometimes are not really bossy. They manipulate behind the scenes, you know, at times. Um, so it's not the classical definition of being bossy. So they are bossy, more than fives, but uh, not more than ones in my view. I it see. doesn't seem that you think so. Well, that was very nice of you. I, I thought you were going to put me higher than <laughs> position three. So well, I was I have talking to say about I... choose and not be. <laughs> well, sometimes I think you're trying to send me a message. Um, so in, in any case, uh, it sounds like you're, you had some, uh, some fair intentions. Let's put it that way. Um, I actually put eights at position two. Um, wow. And I I thought a little bit more about subtype on this one, but in the end, I just went with eights because I think all eights can be bossy. Wow, that's surprising to me. Um, so I think that, yeah, I mean, eights are my number one. Um, I think they are the most bossy of all types. Um they are really comfortable in being in the position of being bosses. Even if they aren't, they play the role. Only when there is someone being a strong boss, they sometimes, you know, relax, but uh, they keep watching. If there is some space, they will tease the person or start, you know, taking the lead from the outside. But anyway, and the way they, you know, especially in the lower levels of awareness for AIDS, the way that they deal with people when being in charge is a bit bossy or a lot bossy. Yeah. But I'm very curious now. What is your first? Well, my first is social too. So you found a way to say that shoes are the most bossy, but without saying that you are, but that's very bossy. It's bossy that I put social too at number one. Well, yeah. I'll leave to our listeners to decide. Yeah. What, but why? Tell us why. Well, I guess maybe it's just thinking of my own experience throughout my life, I think some of the people who I have felt bossed around by the most mm -hmm. have been social twos. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes because they don't see themselves as bossy and they don't own how controlling they can be, they can be all the more bossy. I think with eights, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, what you see is what you get and they yeah. might even own their bossiness and so while they can be bossy it's it can be a bit moderated because of their directness you know they're being direct and assertive and they're and and so that's part of uh the bossy presentation but with uh with social twos i think there's a a, a disowning of the level of control and bossiness and i think because of that it can be very pronounced. Uh, of course, I don't think this happens in all social twos, uh, but I do think it happens. And and it might be interesting to think about like what we talked about earlier, workplace, work life versus personal life. Um, and, and it may be both for social twos. Um, but again, I would also say this is social two at a lower level of awareness. I think as, as twos grow, they become naturally less bossy and controlling because they realize it and they, and they see that uh, it may be a way to indirectly get their own needs met, or it may be a, 
a pride thing where they think they know the best way for everyone. And so they want to push things in that way, sometimes in overt ways and sometimes in ways, as you said, that are more covert or manipulative. Um, but I, I've just seen social twos being quite controlling. And, and I think healthy social twos often see it and admit it. Uh, and I'm often very impressed by social twos who see that and are working on moderating it. Yeah, you've certainly got a point there. I agree with you uh, that social choose can be very bossing, very bossing. Yeah, um, great, great bossing around with you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I will say in closing that I know I can be a bit bossy at times myself. Uh, although sometimes there's more uncertainty, I think, being a self-preservation too, uh, which can... Um, can sort of take away the fuel from the bossy energy. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, it's it's been a pleasure, uh, as always, to talk about these things with you. Yes, always. So we want to thank you for listening. And we ask you to join us again for our Enneagram 2.0 podcast, where we talk about all things Enneagram. 